Everyone up, everyone in. Time for the fun to begin. Come along with me, Lookout Bear, on a brand new adventure. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Michael B. Moynihan here, Zubilee Zoo's resident adventurer, Lookout Bear. I, along with my friends Paul. Hello, Zubaroos. And Billy. Welcome to the show. Have teamed up to bring you an informative and entertaining deep dive into the loving world of Zubilee Zoo, one episode at a time. So please, Buckle up and join us for When You're in Zubilee, Zubilee Zoo, Zubilee Zoo, magic and wonder are waiting for you. So come on with us now and discover the wonder of you. Welcome to Zubilee Zoo. That's right, you can listen to the brand new Zoobly Zoo podcast dropping the 1st and the 15th of every month wherever you get your podcasts or at electronicmediacollective.com slash pod. Hey everybody, it's CJ Graham, Jason Voorhees, Friday the 13th Part 6, and you're listening to Moose's Monster Mash. Christmas Moose brought to me an extension of the Halloween season with Michael Myers himself, Chris Durand. Welcome, Horror Hounds, to another all-new installment of Moose's 13 Horrifying Days of Christmas. I'm your host and gift giver, Moose. Today's gift is a guest with a killer resume. So let's not waste any time and get right into it. Please welcome our guest for today, Mr. Chris Durand. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it is my pleasure. Well, as you know, we've been trying to nail this down for a while. So so when did the acting bug get bite you? Well, I never went into the business to be an actor. I was a very, very shy kid. And I was kind of the last kid who wanted to get up and do the report or you know, lead off the charge at a party and telling jokes or anything like that. Um, But I was very physical, and I started in stunt work and then realized very quickly as part of stunt work that you have to be a good actor, too, if you're going to be effective. Stunts fall into kind of three categories. You're either doubling somebody or you're what's called indie or nondescript, which means you're part of a crowd. So imagine a car crashing into a, a diner and everyone diving out of the way. That's an indie stunt. And then there's parts uh, where you're doing the dialogue or you're playing the bad guy and doing the fight, the shootout, whatever it happens to be. So I just learned very quickly on the job that you have to get over yourself and be willing to do that aspect of it. And the more I did it, because it was so unnatural for me, the more of a challenge it was. And I kind of like to rise to challenges. Uh, and I kind of fell in love with that aspect even more so than the stunt work. I mentioned you've had a killer, you, you, had, you had this killer resume. Your stunt resume is insanely long. I mean, you have two maniac cops under your belt. Actually, probably four, I think. Did we do four? I think we did four. I know I was on three of them. I worked on three of them. 
Oh, nice. As I say, my notes aren't always the greatest, so... No, well, IMDb and all of that uh, has holes in it. There's there's actually quite a bit of stuff that's missing, and some stuff that's incorrect, but uh, it's you get the gist. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you, you, the, you know, Maniac Cop and The Crow, I mean, and... and at that point, that's stunt double for Michael Wincott. We're talking one of the you know lead guys from the movie. You know, it's somebody you see a lot in the movie, right? You know, let, let's touch on that for a minute. What's it like doing stunt double work for one of you know the main on camera guys? Um, it's it's no different than doing it for one of the smaller guys. Other than you probably have a lot more to do. Um, and, and honestly, if you're you know, if you're doubling a hero doing a fight, um, you're actually got the you got a harder job in that you have a lot more to do in the fight because usually he's fighting multiple people. Um, but you have an easier job because you're usually the one who's winning. <laughs> so, you know, you're you're wrecking everybody else around you and you're, you know, going and doing all those things to everybody else and walking away unscathed a lot of the time. So um, it's a different challenge. That's all. It's just a different set of work, but it's it's all in the same vein. Uh, at least if you're winning the fight, it's the route you want to take. You'd rather be winning the fight than losing the fight, right? Yeah, of course. Sometimes losing is more fun in terms of stunts, though. It, at least that way, you know, you, you get to take a few more hits and uh, land in them. Yeah. Well, you get to do all those fun stuff like going through windows and, you know, smashing tables and all that kind of stuff. So, so all, all the stuff that looks cool on screen. Yeah, all the stuff that looks crazy and is, is some sometimes fun to do sometimes not depending on the setup um but yeah i mean it's it's nice to be the hero sometimes as well and beat everyone else up now I, I am a little confused about you know and you mentioned imdb has some misinformation and some uh holes in it for scream 2 you're listed as stunt double in costume and for the killer and the killer is it just the stunt double or no, I did. I, I don't. I don't remember who was playing the part. There's a scene in the movie where one of the characters, one of the leads, is lowered down on stage on a cross, um, like just in his boxer shorts, I believe. That was a you know minimal wardrobe, right? Yeah. Um, um, and I did that part because we had to get the cross up, you know, 20 feet in the air and come down. And they were worried about it hitting the stage too hard and possibly wrenching your back and having somebody who didn't kind of know how to to absorb it properly. So I did that, plus a couple other things. And then I played Ghostface for a portion of it. But we mixed up who played Ghostface on purpose. Um, Wes's idea was to throw everybody off because everybody moves slightly differently. Yeah. And so there's no... We didn't want there to be a way to clue in and say, hey, it's got to be this character who's the killer because... You know, he's got this hitch in his step, and he's the only character, and Ghostface has the same hitch, and it's got to be him. So by mixing this up, it, it kind of threw everybody off. Now, that was a very subtle thing to do, because that costume is so flowing to begin with, that it was a, kind of unnecessary, but it was kind of fun to be, you know, part of that scheme. Part of the scheme, and now you have two of the most iconic masked killers on your repertoire. I mean, how cool is that? Pretty crazy, considering, considering, like I said, I was a shy kid. It's a, it's a long way from those days. I say, you were the shy kid, didn't really want to be an actor, and now you have 
Ghostface, and Michael Myers. I mean, yeah, that, 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 that's mind boggling. Yeah, for me too. Yeah, let's talk Halloween H two O. I mean, you get Michael Myers. What's the audition process like for Michael? Well, the audition's not not anything like you would imagine. Um, the story, as I as I heard the backstory originally, was that they looked at about a hundred actors and weren't really happy with anybody. And traditionally, the role has come from stunts because it's a physical role. Yeah, and and that's what we're the best at. Um, so Donna Keegan was coordinating it, and she doubles Jamie or has doubled Jamie many many times. You know, doubled her on True Lies and all kinds of big stuff like that. She was running the show. And when they said, hey, we want to go through stunts and cast this this part, she said, I'm not going to do a cattle call. I'll give you five guys. They're all qualified. Pick somebody. <laughs> and I was one of the five guys. Um, and, we, and we basically went in, and I sat and talked to the director and the first AD for a little while. Um, they kind of looked over my resume and, and talked to me about what I'd done physically, what I could do, like what my background was. And with that... Um, they, it kind of came down to me and one other guy, and they were a little concerned because he had kind of a spark to him. Like you could tell he could maybe get hot. And they, they kind of went, who do you want to hang out with for the next three months? Um, they gave me the part. Nice. Um, with you being the shy kid originally, was there any like kind of trepidation stepping into this, at this point, very iconic role? Yeah, no, in... in <laughs> So here's the thing. I, uh, this, this is how the story goes. is Whenever you go to an audition, you're given sides, which are pages from the script with whatever dialogue you're going to be auditioning for. And on either side and interspersed within your, spot, your stuff are other scenes in the script, and they're all crossed out when they hand them to you. Well, I learned early on you always read everything that they give you because there might be a clue in the crossed out part as to how you should play that character at the audition. Okay, so you always file away those little bits of information short term. Well, during the interview, uh, so it's Steve Meyer and the, the first AD's name was Mark Catone. They kind of were talking amongst themselves for a moment and saying, we're not going to do what came before. And so I filed that away. And when I got the job, I was like, well, we're not doing what came before. I remember what they said. So why look at anything? So I never watched any of them to, because I, you know, I, I wasn't going to do that anyway, right? So yeah, you got so to be your would, own why Michael. would I get that in my brain? I was, we were going to do our own thing. Okay, cool. So I never bothered to look at anything, which in retrospect was a blessing because I never got in my head about it. I never tried to mimic anybody. I never tried to second guess it. I actually had to figure out kind of who this character was on my own. Um, and alongside that is I had pretty much zero idea uh, about the fan base and about the franchise popularity and how big a deal it really was that I was stepping into. So I didn't worry about it. I, I never got in my head about it because it was a job. We're going to go do what we're supposed to do. And I just left it there. And then Steve basically let me approach things and do it the way I thought it should be done. And in Hollywood, no news is good news. So if they're not saying that sucks, then you're doing it right. Um, and he let me just kind of play it out. But I had to figure out how to make this guy scary because 
you know, the mask is freaky in and of itself. You light it, you add the music, you know, you add the, the, the other actors, you add the motion and the, the blocking, whatever you're doing, it all adds to it. But there's got, there's still a spark missing that has to be there. And that's what I realized real quick. It's like, I'm just some guy in a mask if I don't bring something more to this. And so I had to kind of figure out the intent of this character. And everything I did had to have that, that intensity and that focus. And it was a huge lesson because that stuff translates on the film. If you, if you bring the energy, that energy translates and it makes the team better. And it fleshed the character out and made it work. Well, and I, that, that, that does lead into what I wanted to ask next. Uh, having not gone back and looking at, you know, how it was done before and not wanting to do what it was done before, how did you flesh out and find your Michael? Well, two two things here. The first thing I have to to say is that it was a happy accident. What they really meant was that they weren't going to reference four, five, and six. <laughs> they, they they really meant that it was this was the third in a trilogy, and we weren't going to do the in between stuff. That it was going to be one, two, and then this was the third installment. I misunderstood it, and it, and it was a happy accident. It worked to my benefit, so I never got in my head. Um, to find the character, what I ended up landing on is is a large cat. So I uh, think of a tiger and how a tiger will lock on its prey. And if you've ever seen that, there's a singular focus that they have, and there's an intensity of energy where they're ready to pounce, and you cannot break that gaze. And so that's what I landed on for me to do, was to be the predator. So I actually would tilt my head down slightly, lock on whoever my target was for that particular scene, and I actually would do a little guttural growl just low in my chest. Um, and, and it came across that kind of intensity, that, that singularity of focus, um, translated on the film. Picturing it now, it comes across on the phone. So, you know, and it's, and it's primal. Just describing it, it works out pretty good. <laughs> the, whole thi- the whole thing, right. The whole thing with, um, Michael to me, you know, a lot in retrospect, partly, you know, on the fly, figured it out is that he is kind of the quintessential predator, but he's also not in a hurry, okay? So I'm not that tiger ready to to pounce, and then I explode and, you know, run 50 miles an hour and tackle you. It's not that. It's that same intensity that's contained, and I'm coming for you, but I'm coming at my pace, and there's nothing you can do about it. Michael has always been a steady stalker, you know? Correct. His victims will be there when he gets there. When when I'm ready, I'll get you, right? But the relentlessness of me coming, you know, it's like an energizer bunny of, you know, killers, right? It's, it's just you're not going to stop him. He's coming and coming and coming, okay? But I'm doing it at my own pace, but with that intensity underlying it all. So that, to me, adds a level of fright because he can explode any time. You know when he gets there, you're in trouble. But now you have to wait. It's even worse. Well, yes, yeah. Right? That's what's more. Honestly, I think that's what's more terrifying about guys like Michael and Jason is they're not fast. They're these slow, methodical guys, and you're going to wear yourself out before they get to you. And you're going to wear yourself out on every level. It's not just physical; it's emotional, yeah. right? Right. And you're, you're going to. It's going to be in your head the whole time. So you can't escape him on any level, and knowing that he's coming, 
and there's nothing you can do about it. It just emotionally, physically wears you out. And then there's always trying to be aware, always trying to get away. You know, the hopelessness of realizing this guy's not going to stop and there's not an easy way to defeat anybody. All of that plays into it. So I learned all of that kind of on the fly. And, and Steve kind of let me do my thing, but I, I realized very quickly I had to add something. And it, it wasn't a mechanical part, you know what I mean? It wasn't just get in this thing and hit these marks and do these beats. You had to mean it. Say, so he's a very fluid character. Yes. And it's a very fluid beast that you have to run with. Absolutely. Are you, in general, a horror fan or... Um, no, they're not the first movies I go to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as I like to say, scary movies scare me. So, you know, um, it's not the first genre that I that I gravitate to, but it has gravitated to me over the years. Uh, the first movie I ever did um, was a movie called Cameron's Closet, which is a horror movie. And then I've hit certain beats along the way, and now I'm writing my own. And hopefully we'll get those off the ground soon. Can you talk about the one you're writing or? Not really. I'm, I'm signed on for a bigger project that I have a non-disclosure for. So, and that's hopefully coming next year, COVID depending, obviously. And then I've got uh, the first, first script of two different trilogies done. But I'm working on two and three for one of those trilogies. So I'm going to get them all, all my ducks in a row, completely written, broken down. And uh, we've got financing on the horizon there. So fingers crossed in the next couple of years, there'll be something out there that I'm not only in, but created. Nice. I say, and you, you definitely, horror's definitely not your only thing. You have a couple big comedies that you've done stunt work in. Yeah. You know, it was Talladega Nights. Yep. Looney Tunes, you were the uh, stunt double for Brendan Fraser. I mean, that that's... Yeah. I doubled him first on Casino Man. So you've been doubling Brandon for a while. I doubled him a couple of times. Um, you know, it, it, that goes by the wayside depending who's running the show. Yeah. You know, because it, it's kind of, there's different circles of people and they'll hire their people to do, if they're running the show, they'll hire someone they know better, etc. So you can't ever take it personally, but I've doubled him a couple of times. Um, I doubled him at the beginning, which was kind of cool. Encino Man was fun. I was say, Encino Man was definitely right there at the start of the Frasier craze. Yep. That that started it, I think. And to this day, is probably still one of my favorite comedies. So... Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty pretty fun show. Yeah, I also I also did uh, My Name is Earl for years. I was Evil Earl, as he called me. Oh, nice. I say, yeah, that, yeah, that wasn't even in the list. So I'm glad you brought that up. Because yep. I would have missed that completely. Yeah, I doubled Jason for pretty much that whole thing. Um, that was a fun show. They should have gone longer on that one. So yeah, you doubled two of my favorite comedic actors, Brendan Fraser and Jason Lee. There so that's awesome. <laughs> uh, some of my favorite horror movies and my comedic actors. This is this is fantastic. Um, <laughs> have you seen the most recent Halloween movie? I have not. In large part, that's what happens when you have kids. You just right. don't have time to break away. And also, I'm, I'm actually really working hard to, to finish these projects and get them done. I mean, I spent the last couple of years writing a book, uh, and that's done. The cover's being finished for it, so hopefully that'll be out there soon. 
Um, I've got another one that I did before that, which is more of an illustrated thing. And then I've got a, a third one that we're taking photographs for, which is kind of a, a drinks like a cocktail book. So I'm all over the place trying to get my own stuff done. I say, this is your time. Pitch your books. I'll get them out there and I'll let you guys know more. But the novel is called Hanifa. And it's uh, we, my wife and I years ago started to do a documentary on um, extreme domestic violence. And there is a, a foundation in Beverly Hills that the wife of a plastic surgeon set up. And they get the worst of the worst cases and bring them in and do reconstructive surgery. And we were in on surgeries and interviews and the whole nine yards. And then we couldn't get some of the footage we needed to quite finish that. But one of the ladies uh, became quite good friends with and then decided to write her story. Um, so her name is Hanifa, and she's from Uganda, and she's an acid attack survivor and just an amazing person. It's just her journey. But she's she's one of those real special people in the world that, that came from the hardest of hardships and had all the you know the world stacked against her. And has risen above, and she's you know to the point where she's done TED Talk now, and headed up human rights uh, symposiums and such, you know internationally. Wow, so pretty cool. Hell yeah. Yep. So it'll it'll be it's a hard it's a hard read in the sense that you know her life has been so hard. Uh, it's a real life horror story if you if you'd like, but um, she's a fighter. So it sounds like it. And, so hopefully we get that out there soon. No, you got to go soon because family life and kids. So do you have any upcoming projects that you can talk about? Uh, no, everything is really slow right now. Um, you know, COVID kind of shut everything down. It changed a lot of the focus of what we would traditionally do. So cop shows, you know, you usually have chases and shootouts and cars sliding and all kinds of stuff. And they... They've taken a lot of that out. Uh, you know, shows that were more action-based and might have had a fight with 10 guys, you know, now is one person throwing a lamp at somebody from across the room. <laughs> right? They just didn't, they didn't want the contact. They didn't want, you know, everyone got spooked. And the protocols are so strict that uh, things are still very, very slow. Um, I did a... <laughs> I did an episode doubling on Lucifer right before the shutdown. And then Lucifer actually came back, but it was very, very difficult to film on. And I did another episode um, playing a character, that, just a quick blip. Um, but it was it was very different filming. It was it kind of took all the joy out of it. But, you know, hopefully as we move forward, things kind of lighten up again and we can open things up and, and get going. That's why I'm taking the time to write stuff and make my own. So when it, when we go and my other project that's already funded goes, then I'll I'll have my scripts in line and we'll hopefully start pumping things out. Oh yeah. What would you say is has been your probably favorite role that you've taken on? Acting wise? Yeah. I mean, probably the most fun was Halloween because I was there for the whole thing and I and I really got to take time with the character and play them on a lot of different levels. Um, you know, Scream was very much more of an easy job. I didn't have to think much about it because it's supposed to be one of the characters. You know what I mean? It's supposed yeah. to be one of the guys. So Scream is a little sloppy 
free for all. Uh, I, I did Resident Evil Extinction. That was one of the zombies, the main zombies on that. That was a really tough job, but really, really fun because we were on it for quite a while. And there was five of us as the main guys. And uh, we all became very close. That was a fun one. Earl was fun in terms of, you know, just how funny it was and how irreverent. So it was always fun to show up on set and see who we were insulting that day. <laughs> it was an e- equal opportunity offender. Oh, yeah. Um, which was great because they didn't, they never pulled punches, which was fabulous. They were fearless that way, which I loved. Um, yeah, stuff like that. I mean, uh, you know, I've done, I've been on big shows where you do fun stuff and sometimes you're on big shows and it's kind of more of a group thing. You know, when I did, uh, Winter Soldier, I was the mini gunner. So I got to shoot the mini gun, you know, and the, there's a freeway chase scene that ends with them jumping off the bad guys jumping off the bridge and I drop in with the mini gun and shoot up the place. That was great. That was a tough job because the rig weighed about 120 pounds and I was on the unsteady roof of a car. Um, so it was difficult that way, but boy, was that fun to shoot. So it looked like it was fun to shoot. <laughs> it lights up the whole area, man. The sound alone pushed people away from me. <laughs> I had two, I had a guy on either side advancing with rifles, and you could see them kind of sidestep once I started firing. It was pretty funny. That's it kind awesome. Of, it kind of knocked them over a little bit with the sound. It was great. But it, that's shunt. Uh, so what's the most like insane stunt you've ever had to pull off? There's been a bunch. Um, the one that always comes to mind for me was on a show called Gone Fishing. There's a, I was doubling a, a bad guy, and at the end, he's escaping through the Everglades on an airboat. And the good guys are chasing him on the airboats behind. And he's trying to get to his guy who's in a seaplane. And so we had to go full speed across the Everglades, which isn't very deep, uh, catch up to this seaplane right up and over the wake of the seaplane and I had to jump in my, you know, you're perched really high on an airboat and the and the prop wash from the plane was like somebody shooting a hose in my face. I mean, I'm glad I had sunglasses on so I could see something. But I had to jump about eight feet forward, about three feet down to my foothold. So I had to, to step, duck, and dive for the start of the plane. So as soon as we dropped in that wake, there was a split, split second when it was go time. So I was just ready to explode. And the second I got there, all I remember is saying go and hanging onto the plane. Everything else in between was a blank. But that was sketchy at best. Um, it was just one of those, uh, you just had to pull it off. And they said, if you fall off, just get flat because there's two chase boats and they'll just dunk you. The air boats <laughs> have, such, have such a, you know, they basically sit on top of the water. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're a couple inches under. They they chase ducks and things down all the time in the Everglades and dunk them. And the duck just pops up, shakes it off, and flies away. So they were like, we'll just dunk you in the mud, but get flat. But thankfully, I, I grabbed the strut, hit it just right. And so that was a really tricky one and, and a huge relief to pull off finally because it got delayed over and over for the course of about three weeks until we were losing water in the Everglades and we had to go. Um, and then once we were done, I got to ride on the strut of the seaplane and take off out of the Everglades and then fly up and around and come back in for a landing just to reset um, just for that portion of it. So that was pretty unique to get to do. 
we did Demolition Man too. I was I played a part in there, but I also set the big jump up uh, out of the helicopter where Stallone drops onto the roof of the building in the very opening. Yeah. So it was a 200 plus foot cable fall. Ooh. And so we were in the, I was in the Chinook that he was coming out of. And I was the final communication between everyone. I was on the commit and my friend was doing the jump. But, you know, now you're sitting on the back of a Chinook with the, the tailgate down, you know, strapped in with my legs hanging over the edge, flying over LA at night. So it's a kind of unique thing to get to do, right? Right. So this business allows you to do a lot of weird things like that. Um, one of the bigger gags I did was a thing off of Hoover Dam. I did a basically a zip line off of the top of Hoover Dam, down and across the face of the dam, uh, onto like a, a window washing rig, if you will, that was part of the story going down the dam um, with the bad guys. And I was a hero sliding down the cable to get to them. And then we had a big fight and the cables break and the thing pendulum swings across the face of the dam. And we did this whole big sequence for about a week. So for about a week, I was over the face of Hoover Dam, which is 600 feet up yeah, from the, the top road down to the deck. And from what I heard from the people who run the place there is that there have been more people on the moon <laughs> than have been on the face of Hoover Dam. So there's a unique one for you. Right. And so, yeah, that, that, that's definitely a story to tell your kids and your grandkids. I'm probably the only person in the world who fell asleep on the face of Hoover Dam. <laughs> we, we were in between shots. I was cabled in, waiting for stuff for about half an hour, with my back to the dam, hanging, you know, halfway down, leaning against the dam, and I, nice, warm dam and sun, and I fell asleep for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's, again, one of those stories that you go into for show and tell, what, what does your dad do? Oh, he fell asleep on the dam. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> fell asleep on the face of Hoover Dam. Yeah, so I've, I've been very fortunate. Listen, I came in and I was a, a good size. And my abilities at my size were unique. Because I 6'2", and I, I rock climbed, and I did gymnastics, and I did martial arts. And I could move like a much smaller guy. So it was unique for my size to be able to do a lot of the stuff that I could do. Especially when I started. Now it's less so, but that really, really paid off for me through time. And then once you're in the line of fire, so to speak, once you're working, people start to get to know you and they know who you are and what you can do. And then you, you're brought in for various gags that they know you can pull off. Um, you never, ever want to take something that you can't do. That's the worst thing you can do. You screw yourself up and the production, the coordinator, everybody make it dangerous. So I've turned down a lot of stuff over the years. It's just knowing your abilities. It's, it's not an ego thing. It's not a, a daredevil. Like, I can go higher faster than you. It's all about getting the movie done well and getting the shots. It's all about storytelling. And staying safe. Yeah. I mean, listen, no, none of us wants to get hurt. You know, we cheat every way we can and put on every pad you can. And it's an illusion. So tell your story the best you can. You know, do that illusion and then, you know, hopefully work the next day and you're fine. And there's times, like, look, on Halloween, I had to come out the van window, and there's no easy way to do that. So we built a platform, even with the dash, that I could lay on, and it's a very narrow window, so I could kind of train my head up to look out until it was time for her to slam on the brakes, run about 45 into a stop at a, at a mark in a breakaway window, and I had to duck my head, and I'd get spit through the thing and out the window 
and have to recover in the air because I can't see where I am. So nice. air sense is critical, you know, timing and air sense, and it's all critical. And then we just you know keep the shot going as far as you can. So we we did that shot until I stood up again and faced the van, and she started to drive towards me. You know, as long as you're not hurt, keep going. Oh yeah, o- overlap things. You know, Halloween had its share of thumpers, um, some with me and some not. Like you know, falling into the table at the end. There's no easy way to do that. It's just pat up and go. You know, the, the tables break away to a degree, and you're still going to smash into a table, right? Right. So you have to know how to do that and make it safe and, and be able to do it again and then be able to walk away and work the next day and not be smashed. But there's still it's still go time sometimes, and other times it's very much an illusion, and it looks a whole lot worse than it is, and you cheated it. The things that, the things that get you the most usually don't look like much on film. You know, somebody will... You fall, like, fall straight down, and you're taking the full impact of your body, but it doesn't look like anything on film. You know, it looks spectacular if you're running and you tumble and you go, you know, tumbling ass over heels down the, the sidewalk, but you're actually scrubbing off speed and you're matching an angle into the sidewalk that's kind of skipping off of it, so you're not taking one hit, if that makes sense. Yeah. You're tumbling down the sidewalk and, and scrubbing off speed as you go, and there's not one thud. So if you jump up and land flat, that's ten times worse and doesn't look like much. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of knowing how to tell the story, you know, what's going to look the best. And you learn that, you know, from, from doing it sometimes. You learn that from the old timers who did it and uh, figured out ways to do it better. It's all about being smart. It's all, again, it's all storytelling. So before I let you go, where can listeners keep up to date with projects you have coming out on like social media and stuff like that? Usually I, I get, I do stuff on Facebook if I'm going to do anything. Um, I, I have an Instagram, but I rarely check it. Uh, I don't know why. I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, sometimes you're just busy and there's only so many hours in a day and there's only so much you can do. But yeah, under, on Facebook, I'm under Christopher. It's Christopher Duran. I usually use Christopher for professional stuff. So you can round me up there. Always message me. Feel free to come and say hey. And listeners, like always, I'll have the link to that in the episode description. And you can find me and other great podcasters over at electronicmediacollective.com or on Twitter at Moose Media Inc. Chris, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to nail this down. <laughs> Until next time, Horror Hounds. Mash on. Mash on, everyone. This has been Moose's Monster Bash. Come back for chills and thrills. Whoa, <laughs> whoa,